Whether you've overdone it at the gym, at the dinner table, or on the couch, AHM Health Insurance have a cover for you. Join direct at ahm.com.au. For SEN America, this is the SEN MLB Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. Of course, big playoff time. World Series is underway. We're uh, two games in. The Kansas City Royals holding a two-game-to-nothing lead at the moment over the Mets. Before we get to all the details, of course, joining us in the studio here, former San Diego Padre and Detroit Tiger, Russ Spear. Russ, welcome. Frida, good morning. How are you? I've been better. You sound a little Barry White with us this morning. <laughs> well, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll serenade you blokes later, but that probably won't help anyway. No, it's, no, I don't need that. Don't need that at all. But on the line, we're going straight to the States. Got our US correspondent on the ground, Director of Communications with the Kansas City Royals organization, Alex Cohen. Alex, are you there, mate? I am there. Glad to be on. Thanks for having me, guys. Mate, the, uh, your team, the Kansas City Royals, they've gone up two games to nothing in this World Series this year. I'm going to go right, we're going to go back to game one for a moment. I'm just interested in your take prior to the start of game one. Of course, um, Volquez, the, the starter for the Kansas City Royals, the tragedy of his father passing away just prior to the game. Do you think it was the right call in not informing him that his father had passed away? Uh, well, the fact of the matter is we don't know when exactly he found out that his father passed away. Uh, when it comes to things like that, things could be kind of um, really coiled in the media. So we don't know exactly what happened. They didn't say uh, that it happened on the broadcast until he was pulled from the game. But you know, we actually don't know when he found out or if he found out what he wanted to do. Uh, my my general thought is he probably did know. And, and at that point, it's his choice whether he wants to fit in the game or not. That's and and being the competitive guy that he is and you know, understanding how much playing baseball um, – was part of not only his career, but also his family lives as well. I have a feeling he did know and, and that he went on the mound and you know, tried to perform as well as he could under the circumstances. But you know, if he didn't know, I, I, I think that it was probably the right call not to tell him uh, before the game because you're about to go out there and pitch the most important game of your life. It's going to be an hour, hour and 40, uh, 45 minutes, two hours. Uh, until you find out, not much can really change in that matter. So um, if the Royals didn't tell him, I, I would agree with the decision. But my thought process is he probably knew before he stepped out on the mound for game one. It it didn't really seem to affect his performance. I think he came out on fire in the first couple of innings. He went uh, six innings, ended up giving up six scattered hits and a couple of runs. But I don't think it really affected his performance as such because he still actually threw the ball quite well. Well, he did really well. He was throwing a 97-mile-per-hour sinker the entire night, so I think that constitutes throwing the ball very well. But 
Uh, that's really all that you can ask for from Volquez, even going against an all-star caliber pitcher like Matt Harvey, you know, to go out there, you know, really set the tone for the Royals at home uh, to begin the World Series. And he did. He threw a quality start. The Royals ended up coming back in the ninth inning and winning the game. So, you know, to throw a quality start when uh, the guy who's pitching on the other side of you, you know, has a lot more hype uh, going about on such a guy as Matt Harvey, uh, I think that Volquez pitched really well under any circumstances, whether he knew that his father passed away 20 minutes before he stepped on the mound or not. It's it's an amazing story, Alex, and I'm sure um, I'm sure he was sort of shipped out of there and, and back to the Dominican pretty quick after his uh, post start. But um, what's what's the update uh, coming going forth? I mean, if if you get back to uh, I guess four days, he, he's possible to come up again. Is is uh, now, now that he knows and it's all out in the open, is is he uh, is he still sort of slated to to get in out there and and pitch again in his regular start, or is it um, sort of yeah? Game yeah. Of he um, he went down to the Dominican right after the game about twelve hours. He's back in New York right now uh, with the team, and I was reading reports that uh, he'd be available for Game Four uh, if it went to a, a long period of time. I think he's actually the scheduled starter for game five. So uh, they said that he's available on normal use, but uh, especially with a team like the Royals, I'm not saying that you know it's good that this happened or at all. I mean, losing a loved one is so difficult uh, in and out of professional sports. But with the Kansas City Royals organization, that's the third player that's lost a mother or father this summer with Mike Moustakis losing his mother and Chris Young, the pitcher, losing his father last month. So you know, being part of that team, you know, sadly, I mean, you never want something that, like this to happen, but it could bring the clubhouse closer because you're not only doing it, you know, for you know the players around you, you know, just the, you're doing it for for your friends, your brothers, and keeping their mentality up and you know what could be a tough time for them. And you just mentioned Chris Young there. Of course, he ended up pinching the win through three innings late in the game and and come out with a win in that. Epic game, 14 innings with the Royals getting up 5-4 in the end. Let's go back to the first innings, the first pitch. Do you think the Mets were ready? Do you think the Mets were ready to go in this game? I know prior to the game, of course, they announced all the players up the line and introduced them. Eunice Cespedes was not there when his name was announced. He ended up coming out later on. It looked like he just wasn't ready to play in that game. And that fly ball, of course, he went at it half-hearted turn out to be an in-the-park home run. Do you think the Mets were ready for well, that game? Yeah, I think they were. I mean, oh, man, baseball is such a boring game if that's the way that the World Series starts. Yeesh, like a inside-the-park home run. But, no, I think that he was ready for the game. It was just one of those things where Jeff Cespedes was probably working on some extra hacks in the cage or uh, he was getting stretched out before player introductions. Uh, and then Alcides Escobar saw a fastball that he liked. And he drove it into the left center field gap. And, and for Cespedes, um, who hasn't played very often in Coffin Stadium, let alone in October, uh, when the winds are blowing and gusting in the Midwest in Kansas City, he just didn't take a great line on the ball. There was a little miscommunication out there in left center field. Uh, and there you have it at the inside the park home run. So I think it's a narrative that you know, the media likes that the Mets were just you know, a little uh, nervous and they weren't ready for the World Series. I, w- I think it was just all coincidence. And, you know, CD's Escobar put a charge in the ball and Yolanda Cespedes just misplayed the ball, not that he was ready or not ready uh, for the World Series to begin. Yeah, it's it's just uh, terrible timing on his behalf, isn't it? Because he, he did take a bad route to that ball and, and you could see him looking into the left fielder to see who was going to catch it. So there was obviously bad communication with 
first game of the World Series, I'm sure it'd be a, a tough place to hear uh, any teammate uh, at any stage. But uh, it was poor timing on his behalf. But in saying that, from from the uh, from from the the communication component of it all, we uh, the commentators were saying, "Geez, we." Hope Harvey doesn't throw a fastball here first pitch because we all know what he's like, his aggressive nature. And sure enough, Harvey first pitch right down the middle and, and Escobar got after it. And what a great way to start a, a series. Yeah, it, it was incredible. And it's easier to say that in hindsight. It's like, oh, why would you throw a fastball to a dead red fastball hitter? Yeah, who first pitch. Be aggressive in the count. And, and it's so easy to say that. But you have to look at uh, Matt Harvey's repertoire. Right? He has one of the best fastballs in all of professional baseball. I mean, it's not because of the velocity Harvey throws anywhere from 94 to 97 miles per hour, but he also locates his fastball, if you look at advanced metrics, really better than any pitcher, you know, one that the Mets have, and two in all of baseball. So yeah, if you're a pitcher, you want to establish your presence in the World Series, uh, first pitch of the game with the fastball. Unfortunately for Harvey, he just didn't locate it, and Escobar saw one that caught the middle of the plate uh, and he did enough with it. I mean, you still have to be able to hit a 97-mile-per-hour fastball wherever it's thrown in location to the plate. Escobar just did that. Kudos to him. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the Royals took a one to nothing. He has had a terrific uh, playoff series so far. Uh, that's Escobar, of course, winning the MVP in the uh, championship series. But another guy who I see is a bit of an unsung hero going along here is the catcher Perez. He has been phenomenal in his handling of the pitching staff. And just about every at-bat I've seen him go, he's hitting the ball on the money. A lot of the times it's going straight at guys. But he has been terrific back there in the catching. I see he gets beat up quite a bit. And he's averaged about 150 games each of the last two seasons, only at 24 years of age. But he's a bit of an unsung hero in that Royals lineup. Yeah, I mean, he's the Iron Man of the catching position. And uh, Salvador Perez actually played for the Idaho Falls Chuckers, the team that uh, I broadcasted for this summer back in 2008, 2009. Hit like 365. And you know, from the people that were up there and saw him play up close and personal, they knew that not only was he going to be a big leaguer, but he was going to be a star. And he showed him. And he's been a two time gold glover, two time all star. Um, he's been a three year starter for the Kansas City Royals. And he hasn't looked back. And if you look at guys in the catching position nowadays, uh, they're usually shorter, smaller, and built by like 5 feet 11 inches, 200 pounds. Salvador Perez, uh, he looks like Jared Hain back there. Uh, he's 6 feet 2 inches and 225 pounds. He looks like an NFL linebacker as a catcher, and I think that you know, makes him more immune to the wears and tears of being a catcher because he has a lot more muscle mass. He's more well-built. And he's stronger than most catchers to, to have to deal with the normal grind when it comes to being a catcher. So Perez is one of the best in the business, and he will continue to be one of the best in business behind the plate uh, as the decade rolls along. But the Kansas City Royals really found a diamond in the rough when it comes to Salvador Perez, and he's one of the uh, real cornerstones of that team. Mate, we're going to roll into Game 2 now. Royals 7-1 to one over the Mets in Game 2. A real great pitching matchup with uh, DeGrom and Johnny Cueto. Gee, Cueto came to play, mate. He was fantastic for the Royals, throwing a complete game, uh, nine innings, just giving up the two hits and a run. Really an outstanding performance in that game by Johnny Cueto. Yeah, that's about as good of a pitching performance as I've seen in the World Series that I could possibly remember. And you have to give Johnny Cueto credit. His last outing against Toronto, he really got roughed up giving up 
eight runs and two winnings. But that's really been the mantra of Johnny Cueto. One outing, he'll go out there and get roughed up. And the next outing, it won't uh, really affect him. He'll go out there and really pitch well. I mean, not really to those extremes. You know, you give up two hits in nine innings, you throw 120 pitches in game two of the World Series. But, but Johnny Cueto's been one of the best pitchers in baseball, probably a top five, top seven pitcher in baseball. Over the last five years, and uh, really showing up when he needed to. That's exactly why the Kansas City Royals traded for Cueto at the trade deadline. He's not expected to come back to Kansas City next year. Uh, he'll either uh, he's a free agent, so he's likely to sign anywhere. So Royals essentially traded three prospects from him, three good ones, to say, Johnny, come here, be our ace, and win us a World Series. And that's exactly what he did, or gave the Royals the best chance to do. Uh, when he threw that complete game the other night. So the Royals are up 2 to nothing, uh, and that was because of Johnny Cueto. What, what I found most impressive about that outing was that uh, there were some long innings from uh, f- offensively from, from the Kansas City Royals. And, I, I, you know, DeGrom, for me, wasn't at his sharpest. I didn't think he, he pitched overly well. He, he battled out the fifth inning, gave up four runs. Uh, and they were long innings, but Cueto seemed to come out here and or come out uh, in between innings and, and nullify those long innings by uh, getting some quick outs, getting back into the dugout and keeping that ball game rolling along nicely. Well, talking about uh, Jacob DeGrom, I don't think he's really been that sharp the entire postseason. If you look at the first couple innings of his starts against the Cubs and his starts against the, the Dodgers, he's really struggled through the first two innings, but because of the defense, and because of some outpitchers and aggressive hitters for the Dodgers and the Cubs, two teams that struck out among the most out of any teams in professional baseball, he was able to get out of it. Now you go against a lineup like the Kansas City Royals, who were struck out the second fewest in professional baseball. It's a completely different lineup. They're pesky. They take pitches. They don't chase. That's a tough matchup for Jacob DeGrom when you don't have your best stuff to try to throw pitches out of the zone to get them to chase. That's not what the Royals did. DeGrom worked up the pitch count, and then in the fifth inning when you know, he was starting to get a little bit more fatigued, the Royals took advantage of it. So you know, with DeGrom against teams like the Dodgers and Cubs, he might have been able to get away with his less-than-best stuff. You can't do that with a team like the Royals. And with Cueto, he really did solidify the process when uh, DeGrom struggled uh, in the second inning and then uh, we, you know, obviously was struggling in the fifth inning. He really didn't have much time between innings to sit down, catch his breath, go over with his pitching coach, over some of the adjustments he could have made because, you know, Cueto was getting a quick one, two, three. And you know, as we said before, there were only two hits the entire night for the Mets and they were both came off the bat of Lucas Duda. So uh, you have the, the rest of the eight hitters in the lineup being unable to muster any sort of momentum against Johnny Cueto. That does, you know, really works as a detriment to the opposing starting pitcher as it did with Jacob deGrom. Also in that game, of course, Hosmer come up with a couple of hits, a couple of RBIs and another guy who, we don't get to see him much, of course, over here in the States. Kansas City Royals fans know him, and he really looks to be a fan favourite. Mustakas there at third base, he's been phenomenal, really makes some great defensive plays, and he come out with a couple of base hits and an RBI himself. He's really been uh, pivotal in this playoff series so far. Well, you brought up Hosmer and Mustakas, and those are you know, the Royals' back-to-back first-round draft picks in 2007 and 2008. Mustakas went second overall. Hosmer went third overall. So it was just a matter of a time until those players really began to break out. And for Hosmer, it was two years ago and then in the postseason last year. But Mike Moustakis, if you remember correctly, he was sent down to AAA in July of last year to get some things 
uh, situated and, and work on some things mechanically when it came to hitting. He came back, hit over 300, and then in the postseason last year, he was just spectacular. He uh, really improved on you know, some major parts and flaws of his game. He continued that momentum into this season uh, where he was an all-star, and really the rest is history. Uh, you look at the Kansas City Royals and some of their first-round draft picks when they were so bad, Alex Gordon, Mike Boustakis, and Eric Hosmer, three players who are really part of the major nucleus of that team. So credit the Kansas City Royals and their scouting staff. They really hit on three of their first-round draft picks, and now they can build a potential dynasty in the American League. So go, going into Game 3, Alex, give us, uh, give us your breakdown. What's, uh, what's your prediction? Another good uh, pitching matchup. Um, what, what's your thoughts? In order for this World Series to go six or seven games, like I thought that it was going to uh, when we initially talked, I think the Mets have to win this game. And I I projected the Mets to win in six. I don't think it's going to happen like that anymore. But for the Mets to even have a remote chance, they have to win. I think they will. They have Noah Syndergaard, a guy that uh, looks like a movie character. Uh, He's six feet, six inches, 250 pounds with Long blonde hair, he looks like Thor, and he throws a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. So um, if there's anybody that uh, you want to be able to save your season, it's a guy who looks like that and he throws a fastball like that. And It really takes one game and a dominating performance uh, to change, uh, really, the compass of the entire World Series. I think Syndergaard is up to the challenge, and I think it'll be a close game. It'll be a uh, pitcher's duel on both sides, but uh, whether it's a one- or two-run game, 4-3, 4-2, 5-3, 5-4, uh, I think the New York Mets are going to win, especially at home at City Field, where it is going to be very, very rowdy in New York tonight. Yeah, it'll be nice. It'll be a nice change for us as just as viewers to see to see it from another home field advantage to the Mets. But I think Syndergaard, I think you're right. I, I, the only, uh, the, the real positive that the Kansas City have going in, and you spoke about it earlier, is that they, they just don't strike out. They put the ball in play, and they're, they're always going to put the defensive team under pressure, and with a fastball like Syndergaard, it's not like they haven't seen it before. Harvey, DeGrom, you know, these, these boys all throw the ball amazingly hard. Uh, but uh, I, I'd, I'd love to see a great matchup here again. I think it, I think it will happen, but I'd, I'd also like to see Syndergaard come up with a win. I know you're a Kansas City boy, uh, but uh, I, f- f- as a baseballer or as a baseball fan, I think I'd like to see it go a bit further than it is. Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you. And, and Syndergaard's been one of the top prospects in uh, professional baseball for the last couple of years this is his first full season as a big leaguer and you know this is really an opportunity for Syndergaard to put his name on the map uh, when it comes to major league baseball pitchers and really live up to his hype and I think he's going to do so but uh, what you said I-, I think it's good for the game of baseball for this series uh, when you have two r- really different teams you have the Kansas City Royals who were the favorites in the American League uh, to go to the World Series all season long, and then you have the Mets, who uh, are the hottest team going into the playoffs and then going into the World Series. So you have the best team versus the hottest team. That's what baseball should be like. So for the game, I, I think it's great if this series goes six or seven. In, uh, in the case of Ned Yost, manager, of course, of the Kansas City Royals, he really looks to see, uh, seems to be balanced and, and uh, you know, considerate with, with his team. Um, mixing all of those nationalities and egos and all that sort of stuff really seems to be handling this Kansas City Royals team beautifully, does Ned Yost. Yeah, 
everybody gets on Yost a little bit because he's not the prototypical X's and O's manager, meaning his strategy uh, isn't like being a uh, part of a baseball analytics team. Um, he, he's not the best you know, strategizer, X's and O's manager uh, that's in baseball. And I think he knows that. But with a team like the Kansas City Royals, if you're good, you're good. If you have the talent, you can put it all together. You need a manager that, you know, the, the guys are already in the places that they need to be. You need a manager who can mix and mesh those egos, mix and mesh those personalities. And I think Yosef has been around the game for so long. Remember, he was also the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers. So he's been there before. He understands it. And I think that he is more a manager of personalities than he has a manager of the game at hand. And I think that's exactly what the Kansas City Royals need. So uh, Yost really has a unified clubhouse there. Uh, they know the nine that are going to be out there on the field to start every single game uh, in the bullpen, even without Greg Holland. Uh, they know who's going to come out there in the eighth. They know who's going to come out there in the ninth with uh, Kelvin Herrera and Wade Davis. So you already know what roles these guys play on your team. It's Yost is the guy that makes the – you know, the, the players and the egos happy. So I think he's done a great job at that. Alex, uh, as always, mate, terrific report. Really appreciate your time this morning. Looking forward to this game three today, about an hour and a half away from first pitch. I'm sure you'll be watching with interest. We'll be watching with interest over here. Really appreciate your time this morning, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, no problem. And uh, I guess for the time that we have, go Mets, because I want to see more baseball. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Absolutely, mate. But I think you're going to see enough baseball. Good on you, Alex. Thanks very much for your uh, time today, and we'll speak soon. Thanks so much. Uh, Alex Cohen there, Director of uh, Communications with the Kansas City Royals organization. We're going to go to a short break, so stick with us. You're on SEN's MLB podcast. Selex Recoding Service specialise in electrostatic painting where our fully trained staff and state-of-the-art equipment enables projects of any size to be coated either on-site or in our well-equipped Bayside facility. Selex Recoating Service offers a professional powder coating service and has a wide range of colours available and items can be colour matched to ensure integration with your existing decor. Selex Recoating Service offers a professional powder coating surface and has a wide range of colours available and items can be colour matched to ensure integration with your existing decor. Selex Recoating Service also offers anti-graffiti coating, sandblasting and metal fabrication of refrigerator components and parts. For more information, go to info at selexrecoatingservice.com.au or call 9788-4000. And welcome back to the show. Terrific uh, chat there with Alex Cohen about the playoffs. Well, I've got some info just we talked over the last couple of weeks regards to this time of year, the amount of management positions that get changed. I was interested in the fact that baseball's got to a level now, and Russ, you have a, a take on this. In the, uh, I'll use the analogy of AFL here, the AFL tends to try and keep a lot of these decisions in-house until the grand finals are over, till the Brownlow's finished, essentially till the season's done and dusted. In Major League Baseball, they don't seem to care what time of year it is if they're going to make a change. Yeah, well, I think that's it's sport to sport. Because you're looking here in Australia, um, you're right with the AFL, but you go to, to rugby, they're no different to Major League Baseball. You know, that these yeah, right. guys sign contracts mid-year for the next season. They play out their year. It doesn't seem to affect 
uh, team balance that much? Well, from from where I sit, if if you're on a team and a guy you knew a guy had re-signed with another team, let's say it was an arch enemy, yep. and you knew he would already sign, would that affect, say, a relationship? Maybe. Don't know. I'd I'd like to think because it's been going on for so long. Um, it's just part and parcel of of what they do. Yeah. In in the AFL, it's it's different because it, it just doesn't happen. So for it to happen, I think it'd be, and it's starting to happen. Yeah. You know, I I think um, I think it'd be harder to deal with. But in the rugby scene, they seem to just move on with it. You yeah. Know? It's but, all about right now, and let's play our season yeah. and, and go on go on with what we're going to do next season. And baseball seems to be going the same way. Yeah. In the um, in the states, of course, the the big one that we talked about over the last couple of weeks was Don Mattingly. The in the press re- releases, it was an amicable split. I don't yeah. think you ever get an amicable split. Yeah, that's a lie. Yeah, but uh, because the uh, Miami Marlins have since signed Don Mattingly to a four-year deal, so he'll be in charge of the Miami Marlins next year. In other moves heading around the place, uh, the Padres have interviewed Rodden. Ron Gardenhire for a second time. He's had a second round of interviews there, so the Padres looking at making that move. And I did mention a couple of weeks ago that I heard that uh, Cal Ripken Jr. had thrown his hat into the ring with regards to the Nationals' job. Of course, Matt Williams, they parted company as manager of the um, Washington Nationals, but the, the two names that have really popped up and and gained some momentum just this week were Dusty Baker, former Cincinnati Red, I think he was back in the day, and uh, Bud Black, I think, Russ, you mentioned he used to be with the Padres. Yeah, that's right. And I'm, I'm sort of interested with the Dusty Baker thing um, for no other reason that he has been around a long, long time. Yeah. Um, obviously, a, a great talent, a great manager, has had some really good success, but I'm... I'm I'm really keen to see these younger managers come in. I I know that there was um, talk of an old teammate of mine in Gabe Kapler. Um, yep. He was getting a run for, for some of these positions. And, um, you know, Gabe would be, uh, gee, be early 40s. What position did he play? Must have been a catcher. No, Catch. he, no he was an outfielder. Don't but catchers make the best managers? But he was... He was, um, he was a, a bloke who who couldn't get drafted, good, reasonably good athlete. Yep. Um, he uh, he sent videos around to everybody to try and get a Guernsey. You know, he just he was just desperate to play. Yep. Um, uh, the Tigers took a, a shot on him. I think they signed him as late as they possibly could because they got him for nothing. Yeah. Uh, and an, an amazing athlete, a work ethic I've never seen in anyone before, and and worked his way to the big leagues. Um, had a reasonable career. Stopped uh, a big league career. Um, short to go back and coach to give back a little bit to baseball, and I think he went to uh, rookie ball and up into A ball and double A as a manager. Yep. Uh, that didn't last that long. Went back and wanted to continue to play and got back to the big leagues and played another couple of years. So he's he's a guy who's um, uh, seen it from both sides, yeah. uh, and now is in a, in in a position where uh, he's managing and, and well respected. I mean, you've never seen a bloke work harder than this fella. It, it was it was uh, something to behold. Yeah. It, just just a grinder and an amazing bloke and. Uh, I heard his name getting thrown around in a big league. If he's got that role. sort of persistence and, and work ethic about him, these your name gets popped up. If you keep throwing your hat in the ring, eventually somebody will look at you and, and be considered seriously. So yeah. we might see him. Out. 
I'd love soon. to see him. I'd love to yeah. see him because he's a great personality, really good fella, and 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 talk about a bloke who can work. You P- know, pitching coach. You think? Well, yeah, opportunity? I, I, I might have might put his number in my phone again, and I might <laughs> yeah. put him on the favorites maybe, and yeah, uh, give him a bell. It's amazing when these jobs pop up. All of a sudden, the amount of Facebook friends. Yes, you yes. Come, come no, he's a good a fella, Gabe. I, I really hope that he does get a get a job. And I I haven't heard much about him since I left uh, America, but uh, to hear his name get popped up is quite exciting because uh, he'd be wonderful. Yeah, terrific. Um, just back on Don Mattingly for a moment. That he will be the eighth manager of the Marlins since 2010. Yeah, there's only six seasons. And, 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 and another, I think, a good move from the Marlins because he's coming from um, an environment that high pressure environment of of the Dodgers. Yeah, we talked about it the other week. All these egos, all these contracts, um, and he, I think, he worked really hard to manage the clubhouse because you, you know you got a lot of um, a lot of. Uh, Attitudes and and big egos that are probably pulling the place apart, and to, to try and you mean pompous pitches? Is that what you're talking about? No, oh. no, no. <laughs> just <laughs> so I so I think to, I think to manage all those egos and and keep it all in check is uh, is a, is a pretty good effort. And I think he did a pretty good job on that. We spoke about how he was a really he's a really nice fella and a, yeah. a real genuine guy. Um, to go into a Marlins organization, which probably needs a nice father figure, yeah, sure. um, and, and can probably jowl a clubhouse and make it really competitive and. And and we spoke about it with Eric before, with uh, with the unfortunate incident of uh, a couple of passings in that in that clubhouse. If you can utilise those those things to make it stronger and gel it, and make it personal. Yeah, um, those things are really good. And I reckon Don Maddenley would be a good guy to make the clubhouse personal. If if it's personal. You care, yeah, absolutely. you know, and it makes a big difference. And also, when you're dealing with a right fielder's older than you, yes, in, in Suzuki Ichiro, you know, yeah. one of the greatest hitters of all time. Now, who wants to be a pitcher? I believe at the end of the season, he he got out and pitched for Miami. Oh, and 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 pumped him down there ninety yeah, odd. Just threw him there beautifully, yeah. though. Yeah, no problem. Come in the high eighties. I'm not sure if he touched ninety, but he working in the off season. Forty two year old uh, making his pitching debut. Uh, phenomenal performance, but It'd be horrible to be that talented, wouldn't it? Well, it would be. Oh, right. man. You'd know. <laughs> yeah. I know what it's like not to be that talented. Yes, you're right. Um, the Marlins man is, uh, while we're messing with the Marlins, of course, is for those who do watch the MLB playoffs, he's the strange bloke in orange behind home plate in every game. His name's Lawrence Levy. He's a self-made lawyer over in the States who is just a mad, keen baseball fan. I find it an interesting story because a lot of people always wondered why this bloke was just there in strange gear. He All he does is wear Marlins gear and they're never in the this far into the playoffs, you know. So turns out Laurie... Lawrence Levy, not Laurie Levy, the old uh, duck hunter who used to try and stop the people shooting ducks. But uh, Lawrence Levy's a lawyer, and to his credit, he's an entrepreneur of sorts. In his travels between the particular games, of course, they have travel days. Yesterday was a travel day moving from Kansas City up to New York. He actually buys tickets for people, offers them tickets, and gives them tickets to these games. And then when, when and if people accept and come to the games with him, he then buys them food and the, and souvenirs and the like when he's at games. So he's a guy with a good heart and uh, seems a little strange that he, that he gets around the way he does, but he's become somewhat of a, a fan favourite now on social media. A lot of people stop him for selfies and that sort of stuff. But, uh, 
you know, amazing Lawrence Levy, a lawyer in the States who gets around to all of these games, buys tickets for people and buys them food as well. well we're talking about him here on our little radio station. He's yeah. doing something right, isn't he? I always just thought it was weird. self-promotion? There's blue teams playing blue. Everybody else is in blue, and there was one bloke in orange, and it always just looked strange. Construction worker, maybe. He He's just smarter than the rest yeah, of us. Correct. He's turned himself into now this social media little butterfly, probably got a million followers, and everybody wants a selfie with him. We're just uh, we're moving from there. We were talking Ichiro just moments ago. The at the same time as the U.S. Major League Baseball World Series is underway over in the NPB, the Japanese Major Leagues are also in the middle of their championship series. And this year, it's between the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks are playing the Yakut, the Tokyo Yakut Swallows in the championship series. The um, SoftBank Hawks were up two games to nothing in that particular series. They run a similar format, being a best-of-seven series. So we'll give you a final when that one actually comes to hand. And also the Korean Major Leagues also play their championship series at the same time. Um, It's the Samsung Lions is playing against the Doosan Bears in the KBO, and they were split at a game apiece when I last investigated. And right on the on the uh, cusp of their championship series, and of course with the Korean national team he- heading over to the Premier 12 shortly over in uh, Japan, Taiwan, a huge betting scandal has popped out with three Samsung Lions players involved in uh, a big betting scandal. Now, they've been booted off the Korean squad for the Premier 12 and currently being investigated to what extent this betting scandal is drawn into Korean baseball. A real watch this space um, in that situation. But these teams that I'm talking about, Korea in particular, Japan, have announced a roster, but Korea will not announce their final roster for Premier 12 until after the Championship Series. So that'll be right on the cusp of Premier 12 getting underway. And another interesting one that I did see as a side note, shows how global baseball can be uh, right now, is that Japanese baseball is having tryouts over in California this year. They have put advertising out for all U.S. athletes who might fancy themselves to turn up uh, in Fresno, Fresno, California, November 7 and 8. Anybody interested? It's a $75 booking fee to uh, show your wares, but Asian baseball is now expanding, opening their doors and expanding and and, uh, trying to get the best players possible on the planet to uh, be a part of their professional baseball. You have played in Asia yourself, Russ, with the Australian team. How did you see the experience over there? Yeah, I have. I've just uh, not not as a not as a regular season thing, but just uh, with touring Australian teams and whatnot. But uh, I love I love playing in Asia. I, it's different from America, the different style of baseball. Um, but I love the energy of Asia. I love the tradition of it all. Yeah. Um, in in my mind, the perfect world of Australian baseball. I'm trying to think where Australia should fit. I really wish we could blend the two types. Yeah. I really like the power game that comes with American baseball, but I really like the respect for the game that comes from the Asian sign and the craft of the game. They really practice their craft a lot. I really wish we could have that. I know in the perfect world we'd be able to, but I really wish we could somehow blend the two. And if Australia could sit right in the middle, I think we'd be off to a good start. Yeah, I, I, and I absolutely agree. And I'd, I'd probably 
lean the other way. I probably prefer the Asian style of baseball. Yep. I prefer the manufacturing side of baseball because yep. I find it more team bonding, team uh, orientated. Orientated, yeah. yeah maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, American baseball is as great as it is, and it's a great spectacle because it's all about bash and crash and how far can you hit it and how yeah. hard can you throw it and and fluoro sweat bands. Fluoro like. sweat, yeah. And how cool can you look? Yeah. You know. Um, uh, where Asia, it's just about it's team, team, yep. team, 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 and I, for me, that's that suits me. It's and team it, sport, it, you know, and that's yeah. why we play games to, for teammates and the clubhouse and all that sort of stuff. As as I say, I wish if, if somehow we could have a blend of both. I think yeah. we'd would be uh, doing beautifully. Um, but just back, uh, we're about to go to a a short break in a moment. Going to come back with an ABL report, but just uh, we touched on the Premier Twelve. The prize money for Premier Twelve was announced this week. A million dollars will go to the winner of that particular tournament. Second place will get six hundred thousand. Third place will be four hundred thousand dollars. Fourth place will be three hundred thousand dollars. Places five to eighth will get two hundred and twenty-five thousand, and ninth to twelfth will get one hundred and fifty thousand each. So everybody, everybody's going to come out with a with a chunk of change. I think it would be a uh, a great thing. There was a nice little rumour going around. We're going to touch on this, Busy, because you fed me this one earlier. I'm going to raise it whether you like it hang or on, not. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Whether you like it or not. This commercial is, break? No, no, <laughs> in a minute. Hang on, Cubby. Don't push the buttons yet. Just wait, mate. Hang on a second. Just hang on a second. Now, there was social media was going around this week that Mexico, and I think we touched on it last week anyway, that Mexico may be going to pull out of the Premier 12 tournament. Now, I do have a Spanish speaking friend who I've had scouring over the, the various websites to translate to me what's going on. His name Juan? His name's Ari. Oh, right. I call him Ari Gold, Gold from yeah. Entourage. Yeah, yeah. You know, fantastic. And he believes he's got a cousin pitching for Kansas City because his name's Ari Herrera. Right. The guy in middle order throws 100 mile an hour. So he's claimed him as a relative anyway. But he's I've had him translate some of these websites around the place. He has led me to believe that Mexico are considering pulling out, and they've suggested that Panama go in, who was next in order of the Premier 12. Mexico were in 12th place. Panama was 13. Who's 14? Have a guess who mm. might be number 14. Right. Now, right. this where the story gets interesting, because yep. in the last couple of days, I've had some contact saying that Mexico is considering pulling out. Panama want no part of it, and that Australian baseball might have been approached about trying to throw together a team to be a part of the Premier 12 tournament, which starts in 10 days. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I don't know how it's feasible to get a, to, to put a team together um, to play in a, in a competition in 10 days' time, for starters. You're looking fit. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no I'm ready. Um, if, and if that's where we're at, <laughs> we're in real strife. Um, but, uh, you know, Australia had good success over Mexico, you know, in, in recent yes, times. So it, right. it'd be a good fit for us. But, again, I, I, logistically, is it possible? I, don't, I just don't know. In such a short time frame, I'm not sure if, if we could throw it all together. I don't know. Um, Interesting. It's a little watch this space. We'll have to see who does turn up over there. But it's just an interesting rumour that gained a little momentum this latter part of this week that, as I say, Mexico may be pulling out. Panama want no part of it. 
and that Australia might have been approached about putting a team in. But what what's con- what concerns me most is that it's come to this stage of a tournament that's 10 days away and they still haven't got it all figured out. This has been set up for the last three years. Yeah. Premier 12 has been under consideration for three years right, now. The, right. the nominations were put in 12 months ago. Right. So what you just said is 100% correct. can't believe it's got to this close. Now, whether it's Mexico playing funny buggers and yep. they want some prize money up front. Yep. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. But, um, you know, interesting and we'll watch this space. And, uh, you know, as I say, Premier 12 just about 10 days away now. So be uh, interesting to see whether Australia might put a team together on the plane to be a part of it. But you've you got your finger on the pulse on this game. You, you know, the, those that uh, in power with the ABF. Yep. Could it happen? Absolutely no hope. <laughs> Absolutely no hope. That's all you needed to say. <laughs> we it's killed a minute or two, didn't right, it? Right. Uh, we're going to go to a short break. Uh, stick with us. You're on SEN's MLB podcast. Celix Recoding Service specialise in electrostatic painting, where our fully trained staff and state-of-the-art equipment enable projects of any size to be coated either on-site or in our well-equipped bayside facility. Celix Recoding Service offers a professional powder coating service and has a wide range of colours available and items can be colour matched to ensure integration with your existing decor. Celix Recoating Service also offers anti-graffiti coating, sandblasting and metal fabrication of refrigerator components and parts. For more information, go to info at celixrecoatingservice.com.au or call 9788-4000. And welcome back to SEN's MLB podcast. Of course, the ABL season is underway now. We're into Series 2 this particular weekend. Last week's series got underway. I know the Aces and the Blue Sox split 2-2. We'll get to that sort of standings in a moment. I want to just announce first up Players of the Week. The ABL over the last couple of seasons have been naming a Delta Airlines Player of the Week. This week's after Series 1, Adelaide's Matt Williams, who's been terrific in... He was initially recruited from Sydney to go to Adelaide as a closer. I know they then needed to use him a couple of times in a spot start, and Russ, you'd have a better opinion on this. Going from the mindset of uh, being able to close or throw in relief and to be a starter, Matt Williams doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Did you find yourself to be a starter yourself or relief pitcher? What would you prefer? I was always a starter, and I, and I liked it because I had the preparation time. As I got older, um, and I got, more, I had a better understanding of myself and my body. Um, I actually really enjoy relieving. I, I, I prefer to start, but I actually enjoy the opportunity to maybe pitch every day. Yeah. Um, and I think with with Matt, he was a starter in pro ball, so he has that about him. Um, so I think the tra- transition from being a starter to a and and a reliever is easier than vice versa. If, for example, if you were seen as in relief, this or just making a scenario up, this particular uh, series this weekend, you, you're we're going to use you in relief, and the guy who is scheduled to be the starter, and we'll go back to Volquez's situation where his father passed away, and you know tragedy. But all of a sudden, the starter can't start. 
and and the manager approaches you with say an hour's notice, right. you need to start today. Is it is it a big difference if you said you need preparation time? Would it be a big difference to your actual result at the end of the day? I think the preparation time's all all mental stuff. You know, you prepare yourself mentally to start, and you do that from days out. Um, as a reliever, you don't necessarily prepare that much because you just don't know. It's yeah. the unknown. So, uh, I think it's a mental component more than anything. If Look, I think at that level or at any decent level, coach tells you you're starting. Yeah, you just get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And but I do think the the older you get, the better you get at being flexible. Yep. As a young kid, I probably would have struggled a little bit more with that. As I yep. got older, it didn't matter. You learned to touch your yeah. toes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt Williams, as I said, seven inning shutout, just gave up the one hit, four strikeouts. They ended up losing that game in extras. But uh, nice pitching performance by Matt. And the player of the week went to Canberra's David Harris, one of the imports from the Blue Jays organisation. Had nine hits for the series, hit 563, a nice number for batting average. Knocked in six with RBI and a grand slam in one of those games. So David Harris had a terrific weekend for Canberra. Um, Now we're going to get a little on-the-spot uh, report here. Clubby's going to go through a couple of issues that, of course, you went out last night to see Melbourne v Canberra's in town out at uh, Laverton. What did you see out there last night? Could you get a seat? Was it busy? I got a seat rather easily, unfortunately. Uh, not a not a disappointing crowd, but probably not as many as they would have liked for a Friday night. Tough spot with it going into a long weekend. I know a lot of schools have curriculum days Monday, so it's a four-day weekend. Families have the opportunity to go away. I would expect numbers to drop for that reason. Now, we'll get to last night soon, but I'm going to start with last weekend. Uh, Freddie, you mentioned the Blue Sox and Aces split the series at 2-all. Canberra took three out of four from Brisbane, and Perth took three out of four from Adelaide. Some big issues for me from the weekend were left on base. So, Brisbane only won the one game on the weekend. Just, I'll just explain to people, left on base is a, a stat that is used in baseball. A lot of uh, managers use it, runners who actually get themselves on base and at the end of the innings they're there without having scored. They keep a total at the end of the game, end of a series where runners are left on base for a whole series. Now, I was doing some research on this earlier in the week. I'm a bit of a, a stats nut and... No. No, not at all. Okay. And... As I said, Brisbane take one out of four games from Canberra. Brisbane led the league in team batting average, hitting three fifteen. They had six different guys hit home runs on the weekend, and they've only won one game. The problem is... Was this in Holloway? Can I just... No, no, this was at Narrabunda in Canberra. Okay, so good size yard. And the problem is that they left 35 guys on base in four games. 35 in four games, that splits down to about... Uh, eight and a half. Eight and a half. Yeah, see, that's my stats man there. <laughs> so that's the biggest problem. Uh, so they led with 35 men left on base. The next closest was Sydney with 31. You go to the other end of that, and the Heat, who took three out of four from Adelaide, only left 20 guys on base the whole series. So the successful teams are your teams who aren't leaving guys on base. They can get those runs across the plate. They find a way to do it. And Perth, throughout the history of the league, Russ, you can attest to this because you would have pitched against them at some point, they find a way to get to you. Yeah, they do. And I, and I think it's um, um, it, it's it's a great stat. I'm, I'm, I'm on the opposite side of you, Clubby. I could not care less for stats. Never have as a player, mm-hmm. as a coach. Don't care for them. It's all team, team, team for me. And yeah. it's... Uh, and it, it, it doesn't uh, surprise me at all that the, the teams that to leave least on base win baseball games. Yeah. It's, it's pretty obvious. That I was going to raise that with Perth. Of course, the least is 20. Yeah. In a rematch of last year's championship series v Adelaide, 
Um, what did you say that, that went, Clubby? The Perth-Adelaide one went? Perth won that one 3-1. Sorry, just going to briefly touch on the championship series and another stat. I was curious as to the amount of walks in that series. And I looked at the last two games. So Adelaide won the opener in the championship series. Needed to win one out of the last two. Perth came back and won the last two, winning their fourth championship in five years. Adelaide walked 17 Perth hitters in those two games. Wow. That's, that's, he walks will kill you as a Absolutely. manager pitcher. Yeah. That's what does your head in and that, that uh, ulcer that you get cleared up every now and then. That's, <laughs> that's what it's caused by is, yes. uh, pitchers throwing walks to guys and, and giving them free bases. But also, and errors. Errors uh, is, a, is a big stat because you need solid defense to win games. And if you can be... Uh, 100% execute your defense, you're going to win more than you're going to lose. But errors, Clubby. Yeah, as you say, errors are a crucial part of the game. And the Aces committed eight errors last weekend, including four errors in the Sunday game, a game which had they won, they would have taken the series. Right. So do we know if those errors actually translated into runs? Do we go that hard on it? They did four of the first five runs scored on Sunday were unearned. Right. Lead-off walks? I I don't think there was lead-off walks. I think there was a lead-off error. Lead-off error. Okay, it's similar sort of thing. Either or, if you've got to play solid defense to right. uh, to get through games, and if you're going to make these errors, you're going to give up free base runners. Free base runners turn into free runs at the end of the day. They do. Now, going back to last night, Matt Larkins had his second start of the season. He's had two qualities now, hasn't had he? Had a fantastic start last week. Pitched the shutout, got the win. Last night, he also pitched really well. He threw eight innings last night, and he only gave up five hits, so not too bad. But also, unfortunately, gave up two earned runs, which in a 2 nothing game, even though it's not a big number, it's enough. If your offense isn't working, you can pitch the best game of your life, but you're still not going to get the win. That's a quality start. I mean, any time you can throw up those sort of numbers... As, as an individual, yeah. I know we're talking in a team game, you've done your job. Absolutely. absolutely. You know, if, if your offense is not producing, you can't do much more than that. You can only do what you can do. And yeah. so far, Larkins has thrown a couple of quality yeah. outings. Yeah, he has. He, he struck out eight last night, only allowed two walks, and yeah. was coming up against a guy in Brian Grenning who pitched a complete game. I yep. think 111 pitches and, from memory, retired the last 14 that he faced. Wow, that's that's 14 in a row. is pretty good. Now, you've thrown an eye across the aces a couple of times. We'll just leave them for the time being. But you threw an eye across Sydney last week, and you've now had a look at... Uh, you know, they're, they're not the reigning champions, but they have won an ABL title, Asian champions as well, Canberra Cavalry. How are those? How are they looking? Hang, where, hang on, where did they sit a couple of weeks ago on his uh, on his rating of... Pre- preview ratings were Canberra <laughs> 1, Sydney 2, Perth 3, Adelaide 4, Melbourne 5, Brisbane 6. That's right. It is. <laughs> I think that Sydney probably have some work to do. I uh, probably could have taken advantage of the Aces a bit more last weekend and failed to. Yep. Canberra looked good last night, obviously didn't score many runs, quality start, but their defense was very solid. Yep. Uh, from what I've seen on the streams throughout the first two weeks, uh, Perth look that they're just going to continue in with what they're doing. They came back from behind against the Blue Sox Last night, I said that the travel would kick them around a bit at the start of the series. May have been proven wrong there. So you're keeping Cavalry still at number one? I still think so. Uh, I'm not going to really change anything until I've seen every team live, which I know is a long way through the season, but I'd like to get a glance of everyone live as well as online before I make any huge changes. Uh, 
Brisbane have looked good in their ability to fight back from behind. Two walk-off wins from two games against the Adelaide Bite. The Bite are frustrating this year. In their six games, they've had four walk-off losses. Right. Four walk-offs in four six games. Four walk-off losses in six games. Wow. And, yeah, that covers all six teams to this point. Right. So, okay, we'll keep your... your List as is at the moment, which um, just run through it again. Canberra at one. Sydney at two. Not too sure. It's a bit dodgy, that one there. It is at the moment. Perth, the reigning champions at three. Adelaide at four. Melbourne in fifth spot. And I'm sure Dave Nilsson will catch up with you when he comes to town. Brisbane in sixth Um, place. We'll make sure of that, I think. I'm sure. I'm (laughs) inviting him in and I'll say, Dave, look at it. Look at it. I'm sure he will. Sure he will. And I'm looking forward to being able to sit down and chat with him about it. Absolutely. He's a great man, too. He's a great man. He is terrific. Been great for Australian baseball. One of the best. I think he hit exactly 100 major league home runs. Exactly 100 major league home runs. So he could legitimately hit. There is no doubt about that. Um, where what do we got? We got game three is uh, will be getting underway. I think first pitch might have just been tossed to get the World Series underway. ABL games. Are you heading out there today? I will be there today and tomorrow. And there's one more quick thing I want to touch on, which is yes. the speed up rules in the ABL in extra innings. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So how it is being structured this year is when you get to the top of the 11th, you start with a runner on first and a runner on second. No. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Jeez, a I'm, lot out, of, I'm out of the loop. A lot of international on. baseball now is running this way. Is that right? Because of the game can go 14 innings and take five hours and people get bored to death. Right. You know, they've got the pitch clock. Yeah. The commissioner's office at MLB Baseball love it. Right. Joe, I, I, I don't know any of this, by the way. I, oh, my, minor league baseball. Joe Torrey used to manage the New York Yankees. Yeah. He has involved. Heard of him. He has put in a pitch clock, which they have tested in, in some double AA, A, triple A games this year. The commissioner's office love it. Think it has really helped keep the speed of the game traveling along. Same as basketball. A pitch clock, Russ. Imagine it. What's going on here? You get 20 seconds. <laughs> and then when it comes to games, if they go extras, uh, the the extra innings start with runners at first and second. Of course, you get the top and bottom of the innings, so both teams get the opportunity. You get to, as soon as it goes extras, the, the manager of the team gets to elect what hitter starts the innings. Wow. And the two hitters previous to that hitter are the runners that go out to first and second base. Right. And if you score good... If you don't, let's keep on going. So essentially, you put your lead-off and two-hole guy on base, and you let your three-hole guy go to business. Yes. So that's essentially how it works. Yes, very or much. Or you get your three-hole guy up to bunt, and then your four-hole guy and gets then, him away. And then if you don't score, right. for example, and just make if you go you through the things and don't score, right. then so your four, five, and six, yep. if they go to hit whatever, we'll say your number six is leading off the next innings, where your four and, uh, four and five guy go out and run the bases. Ah, right, that's how it runs now with most tournament wow. baseball. Premier 12 is going to be that way. I think World Baseball Classic runs that way. Tournament, any sort of tournament play now, they're using these speed-up rules to keep it all I, uh, I need hustling. to do some research before I come in here and talk to you blokes. Well, I apologise. Just read the pages that I give you, Russ. This <laughs> yeah, might, might be handy. Uh. <laughs> what I will say about the speed-up rule is... I like it from an ABL perspective because the ABL is in a situation where there's a lot of other sport it's competing against. 
You've got to get non-baseball people through the doors. Absolutely. And that might be the sort of thing that can entice them to go, hey, I had a great time and I'm going to come back. There's a few little things that make it really interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it keeps the game moving. I I played a game once when I was a kid for Australia that went 26 innings and went for two days. Wow. And I think it only got superseded only last year or something for time-wise for a game. And imagine that. Wow, 26 innings. Yeah, closer, nine innings. Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, yeah. The quickest one, of the, the absolute chalk and cheese of it all, I played in one that Phil Dale pitched with Adrian Mars, 69 minutes. Brilliant. Full nine innings game. That is it was awesome. magnificent, mate. Two balls at it too yeah, right there, it isn't was. It? it was terrific out at Waverley, that one particular game I do remember. Anyway, look, that's uh, enough from us for today. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming in, Russ Beer. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Sorry about my voice. I, uh, I apologise. No, I think we'll get a lot of uh, female attention this week. Don't worry about that. <laughs> and Clubby, Clubby, thanks for your input. Terrific. Always a pleasure. Uh, so, yeah, tune into the World Series underway. Get out to your local ABL games and, and follow your team. But on um, behalf of Xavier player, Russell Spear, my, my name's Craig Koenig. Thanks for joining us. This is SEN's MLB Podcast. Thanks for listening to the SEN MLB podcast. For more SEN America podcasts, head to sen.com.au. To keep up to date with the latest American sports news and interviews from around SEN, follow SEN America on Twitter at SEN America and on Facebook at facebook.com slash SEN America. You're getting ready to go out. You want to get in the mood. There's a playlist for that. You move to the beat. You trip over the dog. You're not dancing anymore. You open the Medibank app and find a physio. We live in an on-demand world. And now your health insurance comes on demand too. Download the new Medibank app today.